Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher, and it's Kara Swisher Day here in the United States of America. Hi, hi, Scott. Isn't it Kara Swisher Day every day? It is. Why is today? And why is it? Why is it your day? You seem happy. I like that. What's my book comes out today, and I'm excited. I was. I'm started my book tour, and it's really fun already. I already hugged Kate Winslet, so that's. I'm like, and she, and hung out with Chance the Rapper, so now I'm very happy. All right. So you're on your you're on your book tour. You still do those? I don't do book tours. Yes, I do. I have a huge book tour. I, I'm going to like 27 cities, and in each city, I'm being I'm being interviewed. You're going to 27 cities? Something like that. Yeah. So I'm, but in each city, I'm being interviewed by. I made it into an event. They're all sold out. And like in Austin, it's Mark Cuban. In LA, it's Bob Iger. In uh, here in DC, in New York tonight, it's Don Lemon at the 92nd Street Y. Wow. Um, so I tried to make it interesting. In Boston, it's Maura Healy. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's really, uh, it's a, I made it into an event. You know, I'm good at events. So mm-hmm. I made it into something else. I can help you with yours. You. So yes, right. I it's racing that. up the charts at Amazon, which is great, which is good. That's great. Congrats. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Um, and, and thank you for defending me uh, from people who say I got all my Monday. scoops yesterday on the, on, the, on the social media. I appreciate it. I got one of the, one of the reviews was like, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a memoir and it was it is a memoir so that when you said mm-hmm. so the the criticism here is a memoir and it shouldn't be a memoir but it is a memoir thank you for saying that um and then another one said i got all my scoops from my ex-wife that's or essentially insinuated that and i i didn't i was 10 years into my career before i met my ex-wife uh so that's kind of confusing to me, but it was very sexist. It was, but otherwise, but you defended me and so did Walt Mossberg and I really, and others, and I really appreciated that on that issue, at least. Well, good. Um, Anyway, we've got a lot to get to today, including the Supreme Court cases that could bring major changes. Social media is a big case and Reddit is officially going public and we'll talk about whether it's going to be a successful IPO. Plus our friend of Pivot is former U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid, who has a new book, Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. But first, we're going to have a little excerpt from chapter four of Burn Book. All right, let's listen to this excerpt. I've always hated the phrase, speak truth to power, because it assumes all power is bad. It should really be, speak truth to power when the power is false or damaging, or even just plain bizarre. 
in the bazaar camp was when I found myself staring at an ice sculpture of a woman whose breast was oozing white Russians, a Kahlua and cream concoction. I was a guest at a baby shower party for Google founder Sergey Brin and his wife, Ann Wojcicki, who were expecting their first child in 2008. Naturally, they decided to celebrate with a huge party in the factory district of San Francisco. Before you could lift a glass to the icy nipple to get a sip, guests had to brave a jungle of dangling baby photos of Sergey and Anne at the door. The club's entrance was manned by the kind of prematurely ebullient and hyper-organized women that always seemed to surround the rich of Silicon Valley. Would you like a diaper or a onesie, asked a young woman with amazingly swingy blonde hair and a very sincere smile, as if the question were not even slightly fucked up. There you go. What do you think? I don't I don't understand what's you say that like it's a bad thing. I want to be invited to those parties. <laughs> I did. It was so weird. I just was everybody was dressed up as babies and it had a weird mm-hmm. sexual implication and yet they were just juvenile. So it was a it was a very strange party. And it talks it starts to talk about sort of the, the you know how Google was aggressively quirky, you recall, right? In the mm-hmm. early days. I was talking about the the need for juvenilization that these people had in extreme and extremists and and how they everything had to be forced fun. Um, and so that was sort of talking about that. I, I don't know how many of those parties you went to, but I had to go to an indescribable amount of them. And they were always as if we were 12 again, slip and slides or, you know, pogo sticks or bouncy houses and things like that. So I was trying to make a point on that issue. Yeah, I was never I was never part of that community or invited what, what to it. What were you doing? Or, you had Red Envelope. I was working around the clock. Well, New York wasn't like that. New York wasn't like that. It didn't have that same kind of crazy aspect. Well, I was in San Francisco, 92 to 2000, but I wasn't, I just wasn't that dialed in. I was living in San Francisco. I, you know, was married, working all the time, had a dog, um, a dog, but I didn't go to that stuff. I wasn't part of the, I wasn't on the A list. I was sort of B minus list. I wasn't. I just wasn't privy to that stuff. Well, it was crazy. It was time they would hire the as they I got bet. as they got money. They started to hire really, you know, expand like Elton John or I went to a, yeah. I, I was invited to a party and I didn't want to go and they said, oh, you have to come. It's my kid's sixteenth birthday party and I said, I, I really don't want to come now. And I, I they finally convinced me and I walked in and it was Maroon Five. They had hired Maroon Five. It was crazy. And I was like, um, they said, what do you think? I said, I think your kid's going to need therapy later. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and your kid's going to be so, fucked up and yeah. a little bit entitled. Yeah, it started very adorable. And then it got kind of weird and, you know, rich people's, like, I don't know. It got, it was weird. It was it was a weird time. And so I wanted to sort of depict that in the, in the book. And there's lots of stuff like that. But for me, I, I don't know how much of it is the industry because I'm curious what you think. I am sort of... I have access to what you would call, quote unquote, the, the tech elite. I mean, the difference or one of the big differences is I don't I purposely won't meet with any of these people. I'm not a journalist and I don't especially enjoy them. And there's just other people I'd rather hang out with. And it's sort of your job to meet and listen to them and, you know, establish relationships so that you can get good news or, you know, good scoops and. Yeah, or or just be on the right side of people. Yeah, that they that they feel comfortable with you. Yes, there's a seduction yeah, element. You have a dialogue. To, well, there's a seduction element to journal. You want to be charming, same time a little scary, or you want to get them to talk. Yeah. You want to get them to talk. Yeah, for sure. But I've always uh, on the tech side. I, I really, I think San Francisco, and I, I never knew if it was regional or industry. And I think you would argue it's industry. Um, I've lived in. L.A., San Francisco, Miami, New York, and London. And the only place I wouldn't live again is San Francisco. And 
I think San Francisco is beautiful. I think it's the most beautiful city in the union. Um, it doesn't fit me personally because it's all about the day and the outdoors, and I'm I'm all about the night and the indoors. It's very hard to get a good drink or find a good bar after 10 p.m. I just never, never, it just never really fit me. But the thing that turned me off the most was the whole tech culture and the tech bro and the VCs. And I thought during the day, these were some of the most rapacious, aggressive, I don't want to say unethical, but I just had so much full body contact, watch your back, don't trust anybody experiences, mostly with the venture capital community. Whereas in New York, they kind of stabbed you in the front. New York was, and then what I what I found so duplicitous about this during the day, let's wash out founders and do rights offerings, and at night we're going to throw a party to save the whales. Yeah, it just seems yeah. so yeah performative, disingenuous. Performative whereas, well. whereas New York is like, we're here to make a shit ton of money. We'll give you a straight answer, and now let's go drink a lot. I yeah. just thought these are my people. Yeah, well, they're more adult. You know, they just they just love to live in in childhood, and and they have money, and that was you know as you saw that. Everywhere you went, there were toys. That was, you know, I talk, there's a scene with at Excite. Remember Excite? And they mm -hmm. had a fake garage door as their door. And I was like, well, you, okay, you started in a garage, I think. Probably you didn't. I mean, Google definitely did because I was at that garage. But, um, you know, they were, had a fake garage at their headquarters. They built it because it was so quaint, which really, for some reason, irked me terribly. And then they had this slide where... Um, between the floors. And they were always like, get on the slide, Kara. And I'm like, I'm not getting on your fucking slide. Like, I was such a bummer to them. Um, but it, I was always struck by not just the juvenileness of the toys in the place, the colors, the primary colors everywhere. The clothing was always really, it felt like everybody was dressed in Gap for kids, right? That kind of thing. And then what was really, and the food was soft. And one thing I, I found an old story that I wrote right at the beginning, two things. One is about their titles. It was oh, their titles were always silly, like Chief Yahoo or Chief Experience Officer. You know what I mean? And they were mm -hmm. always the CEO. Like the only person who had an honest card, which I found the other day, was Mark Zuckerberg's, which was I'm the CEO bitch, which is also juvenile mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. But at least he like was you got what he was doing. Um, and then they I wrote a whole story about their food choices because they always like to pretend they were regular people, even though they were starting to become very wealthy. And so they're like, we only like burritos. We don't go to fancy restaurants. And, you know, you'd be like, why do you need to prove to me like, you know, internet moguls are just like us? It was a really interesting, and except the Apple people never did this, right? There were certain companies where this did not happen. Microsoft was one of them. Apple, they were older. So anyway, it was an interesting time. Yeah. And I found, and again, I might have, I, I went to Berkeley and I absolutely loved it. Um, and some of it was a life thing. You know, I just wanted to change my life. When You're I a left, New Yorker. But, You're a New Yorker. Yeah, but Yorker. also uh, uh, this notion of changing the world, I've never seen, I've never met a group of people more obsessed with money who evaluate other people based strictly on their estimate of how far in the options their money are and what employee they are and what's their AUM at their VC fund. I I literally think there is the the... In New York, you have to be something. You have to be super intelligent, rich, or hot. In the Valley, what I found, it's just all about how much money you stock. have from tech. Stock. Full stop. It's tech. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's why the first line of the book is, I think, if you don't have to read any more than the first line, which is, so it was capitalism after all. You know what I mean? It was so irritating to be told they were changing the world, and then they had cashmere hoodies and full control of their 
with their companies, right? That nobody could have a choice. Anyway, it's interesting. I hope you like it. I I'm, I hope you will like it. I hope you'll read yeah, it. Yeah, I'm I'm it, I'm going to read it. I'm Good. I'm excited. I am actually. You're actually to read it. in the book, so maybe you can. And there's no index, so you can't find you. As I should be it's called the great the great reprisal rejuvenation. No, it's about our meeting. There's a lot about you. You have more. You have more words than most people. The man, the man who saved my career. Yes, that's what it is. No, it's a very funny. It's a career. very funny section about how we met and. And then I put you in acknowledgments, so you're just going to have to read. That's the way it is. Thanks you're in there. You're Thanks in there. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, I'm excited. Anyway, uh, it's good. So let's get to our first big story because the, the beat goes on. The beat goes on and on. In this case, is has, has early beginnings for the internet, and we'll move to that. So our first big story. The Supreme Court is hearing two First Amendment cases this week, important ones that could have major ramifications for the future of social media and what rights platforms have to moderate content, the continuing saga of content moderation. The cases deal with Florida and Texas laws from 2021 that were passed to combat what supporters considered censorship of conservative viewpoints on social media platforms. Uh, Texas and Florida officials argue that laws regulate business behavior, not speech, which is a very t- fine line. But the lobbying groups representing tech companies say the laws infringe on First Amendment rights. Uh, let's talk about these cases in specific. Let me talk, explain to people. Florida law prohibits social media sites from, quote, willfully deplatforming a candidate. The Texas law prohibits censorship based on a user's viewpoint. Uh, Supreme Court is taking the cases on after federal circuit judges came to the opposite conclusions on the constitutionality of the laws. A decision by the court is expected by late June, just months before the presidential election. Uh, I can't believe this, but I'm on the, although I'm, Oh, so this, I'm not on anybody's side, but I have to say, I think I'm on the tech company's side. This is an infringement of the First Amendment uh, by states deciding content moderation issues is a real problematic. Um, it, 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 people can censor you if you're a private company. I'm sorry. I don't, stop with this public uh, public uh, square crap. It's not a public square. What do you think? This makes no sense. So CNBC, I hauled my ass down to the New York Stock Exchange to talk about, you know, big tech over and over and over every Wednesday morning for like two years on CNBC. And one day they decided not to have me back. So am I being censored? Yes, Scott, you're I'm, being I censored. I talk about politics. Yep, yep. I no. talk about politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, this makes no sense. They're allowed to do this. Yep, I agree. I, do we have to have Ted Cruz and AOC on our show every episode? I mean, this just makes no fucking sense. They're private companies. Yeah, I, I just, they're trying to do that as a business thing. It's just, they, they're, you know, they're they're hurt that they don't, that they get thrown off because they act badly. You know what I mean? And by the way, Elon Musk runs the, one of the bigger ones. So you've got your man. So everybody gets their man, essentially. Um you know, this this was interesting because drilling in on whether judgments of this going on right now, these arguments, drilling in on whether judgments about what content to host are, quote, expressive and thus potentially eligible for First Amendment uh, protection. Justice Elena Kagan raised the example of X, formerly Twitter, and how its rules changed after Elon Musk bought it in 2022. Twitter users one day woke up and found themselves to be X users. The rules had changed and their feeds changed, and all of a sudden they were getting a different online newspaper, so to speak, every morning. Um, and the, the, the net choice attorneys representing the tech companies says it discriminates on the basis of content, speaker and viewpoint. It does all of this in the name of promoting free speech, but loses sight of the principle of the First Amendment. Again, I, I, 
the only thing is, then you leave it to these companies who are not regulated to do anything. So what are the regulations we can put on these companies so they behave properly? I think you can sue them. That would be the best thing is to be able to sue them if they cause damage and not through this nonsense of this, of these, you know, very conservative states that are trying to, with, if this passes, it is really bad. <laughs> I just, I can't even. So, so when is someone a political figure? I understand when there's sometimes they have government funded campaigns in certain countries and they have to give them a certain amount of time, each of them a certain amount of, you know, because they're worried about um, political candidates being squashed or censored. I get that. But you're going to tell these there's a lot of different platforms. And there's I mean, granted, if you made the argument at some point that so that meta is a utility, I could see then maybe passing some laws that during elections people have a certain amount of fair use or whatever it is. But how how is this not get challenged? Does this mean that we talk about politics all the time? Do we can we demand that we get a certain amount of airtime on Truth Social? Uh, I don't I don't I don't see how this is enforceable. I don't think it makes any sense. It's so dangerous. And it's a, it's a violation. The law they're holding up, this is a direct violation of. I don't get it. They're just, you know, this is, let me read this from the Washington Post. This is one of the several high-profile tech cases on the Supreme Court's docket as the court increasingly weighs how centuries of free speech precedent apply to the digital sphere. Next sphere, next month, the high court will hear arguments in the case that weighs whether the First Amendment precludes, which is the opposite, government officials from pressuring tech companies to remove content. So these guys are on the other side of that, because they were talking about the Biden administration. Those were the same people. These people are so hypocritical. I just want to like scream. Um, but they were the idea that you could warn, flag these companies for dangerous content. I think they can flag it. You know, that's, I don't find that to be a problem at all. I think it's the ability to take it down. And, and, and websites have a viewpoint, but depending on who owns them. Um, media companies. Yeah, they're media companies. And then Justice Amy Cody Barrett questions whether tech companies' content moderation practices are similar to editorial discretion of newspapers, citing hypothetical example of TikTok's algorithm, boosting pro-Palestinian posts over pro-Israeli posts. If you have an algorithm, do it. Is that not speech? Um, so it'll be interesting. It's such a partisan issue. And whatever side you're on depends on what side you're on. And you can shift your allegiances. But um, it, there's a lot going to happen here. The, the only veracity to their argument is that if they are exonerated from the legal scrutiny that traditional media companies are exonerated, if we started sexualizing images of, of children on this show, and and then then I think a lot of organizations would be would have a legal, a rightful, credible legal case against us. And but that's not true on on big tech platforms because of Section two thirty. So I can see how they would say. Well, if they're not going to be subject, if they have free, if they have more free reign, then they have to fall under additional, additional scrutiny or mandates. But this this one doesn't make any sense. And we have a model here: treat them like media companies. Yeah. Fox is not we have obligated to bring on Bernie Sanders every day. When the when it ends up there's a the the, the quote unquote credible witness providing information on the Biden crime family quote unquote is actually a Russian spy. 
Fox, it's reprehensible. They don't report on it. They're mm-hmm. allowed to do that. Yeah. They don't have to. Yeah, exactly. And then you can decide whether or not you want to watch it or not. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, when they spread lies about voting machines, they are liable. We have a model for this. It's called we a do. media company. We do, but they don't want. They are. They run from being media company. They're going to have to embrace being a media company. But but also, let's talk about sexualization. Let's discuss two disturbing investigative stories published in the last few days concerning a number of parent-run accounts on social media. The New York Times has a story on mothers who run social accounts for their underage influencer daughters. These accounts open the door to financial benefits, but also to online abuse from men, older men. What a creepy friggin' story that was. In the Wall Street Journal, it was followed by a report's Meta's safety team warned internally last year, as they have before, that new paid subscription tools on Facebook and Instagram were being misused by parents trying to profit from exploiting their kids. I mean, like any of these tools will be abused and they cannot abrogate their responsibility as they make them. I don't know if they'll do do anything. Meta took down some accounts and acknowledged enforcement errors after the Wall Street Journal flagged some of the exploitative behavior. Our parents certainly have a responsibility. Meta spokesman said in a statement that, to the Times that parents are responsible for these accounts and their content and could delete them at any time. I, I They're not their nannies, parents' nannies, but boy, they have a much... If kids were using, I'm trying to think, something else in such an ir- if parents were using it in such an irresponsible way, the government would come down hard on all sides, including the parents. And so these stories were deeply disturbing to me. I don't know about you, if you read them. Well, first off, just a, you know, we're critical of them, but a shout out to the New York Times. I thought the article was really powerful. It was. And it shows, and the journals was too. They both were great. And and it shows the power of long-form investigative journalism and why it's important that it continue to be economically viable. I've I've said this. You've heard me say this. Instagram begins from a place of perversion. The algorithms encourage young women, preteen girls, to pro, to sexualize themselves. The, the the algorithms love it. They'll elevate the content. The strangers out there will love it and encourage you. And at your most vulnerable time in terms of your own self-image, coming into your own sexuality, hormones taking over, you get this weird... I mean, it is so insane that one of the most valuable companies in the world, the epicenter of its growth property, Instagram, is the following. Find minors encourage them to sexualize themselves such that their peers and strange men around the world can evaluate them and comment on them. That, and then it goes, and then the, the knee-jerk reaction is, well, it's up to the parents. Well, I'm sure there are parents that for money will have their 12-year-old kids engage in a pornographic film. But that doesn't mean the theater running it <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't be hammered or taken to court. So yeah, the parents here are strange, desperate, whatever it might be, we know how to age gay. Well, th- now, th- here's, the, here's the thing. It's parents' accounts. It's not the kids' accounts. The parents just put that content on there. That's one of the problems. And these are adults who run these sites, but, but, but which is But the platform the- knows what's going on. If, okay, you're, the parents know that their kids are engaged in child labor. It, it, you and I approving our sons to go to work at the age of 13 doesn't make the employer void of void of, of, of violating a crime. It all comes down to the same thing. There's no reason anyone under the age of 16 should be on Instagram. And they could, they could figure it out in 48 hours or their images. And, and anything, if it's, if it's family photos, one, but anything like this, commercialization, 
it's that you people say, well, there's a there's a healthy industry for modeling for kids. We need them. Fine. The traditional industry has put in place safeguards. Meta has not. And let me let me just um, go. I, I, I've said for a long time, I thought Sheryl Sandberg was just terrible for, for women. And I thought that it was a total Goebbels tactic, accuse the other side of what you are guilty of. I felt for her to be marching around the world talking about leaning in, which as far as I could tell, the, let me summarize the book for women out there. Act more like a man. That's how I read it. And two, to have figured out a business model that results in algorithms and incentives to sexualize young girls, this company's begins from a place of perversion. All right, but let's put the onus on the CEO. Again, I know you like to, to focus on Cheryl. I get it. But this is Mark. I focus on Mar on Mark, okay. too. I focus okay, on right, both okay, of them. All right. I'd like you to mention. Posai. 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 I find this to be so obvious in terms of how to deal with this. It's really, you know, accountability matters a great deal. And again, my book's all about that. Like, this should be so dead obvious that this should not be like, and the problem is it's expensive. Their their businesses look a lot less pretty once the cost to fix this goes in because it's nearly impossible, you know, whatever, 300 hours every second on these sites, right? Three Video or photos or whatever, too bad. Don't build a business like that. If you can't control it, then make it smaller. I don't know what to say. I mean, because their whole thing is we can't, there's too much of it to monitor. Why did you build a business where there's too much of it? Like, again, they have an answer for everything. And in in this case, it should be dead. This iterates, this isn't just child pornography. This is, you know, misinformation, anti-Semitism. Just put any word in here for this stuff. But if we can't do it with this stuff, you're fucking kidding me. Like, if we can't do... You cannot make your tools look from one of the people arguing arguing about storage, like that Apple is is exploitative too because they allow storage, right, on these sites. I think we talked about that. Anything in the world, a, 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 a cardboard box is with full of pornography, child pornography is a problem, but it's not the boxes problem. This story. These are not boxes. They like to think that they're like cardboard boxes where people keep pornography or a safe that people keep it in. It's not the, the safe that was never intended for this. These people have tools to stop it. It's very different. They have to stop acting like they're a cardboard box. You know what I mean? Like they have no culpability. And that drives me crazy. They make an active decision to program algorithms. Then when it finds content with a 16-year-old girl in a bathing suit that's very provocative, they make an editorial decision. This isn't much different than a producer at MSNBC or CNN Fox going, you know what? There's a lot of desperate men out there who like looking at 16-year-old girls who are fucked up in the head and don't realize how wrong it is. And in the anonymity of their home, will like it. And the algorithm will, will, will sense that. And we as humans have decided to elevate that content. We have decided, we have made an editorial human decision to program the algorithms this way. And the moment content is elevated algorithmically, you're an editor and you should have the same responsibilities and the same accountability as any other media company. And when we're talking about, they always throw up their arms and they plead complexity. We're not talking about the realm of the possible. We're talking about the realm of the profitable. Because here's the bottom line. It's expensive to moderate. It is expensive. That's what I said. It it's is not hard. such a good business. It's not such a good business. Yeah. It, it, to, have, to have a total free-for-all 
where you just claim complexity and First Amendment and deploy your hundreds of lobbyists. And, oh, okay, if images of nooses and pills get sent to girls who are in the midst of suicidal ideation, if we have a ton of content that we run ads against that sexualize young girls, if we have 54 to 1 uh, pro-Hamas videos for every pro-Israel, I mean, and we radicalize young men, okay, not our fault. But, boy, it is an unbelievable business model. It is. It is. And it is. It is. We have a decision to make. Economic value and shareholder value is an incredible thing. It's important. They pay taxes. They give a lot of people opportunity. They create ecosystems. They create economic growth. That counts for a lot. The question we have to wrestle with and come to some sort of decision around is, has it become too costly? Is it no longer worth it? Yeah. It has been. It 100% has been. So just to be clear, parents are very responsible in these situations. Like, let's not let them off the hook. And I won't. I, I was, it was so, I could not believe parents would do this to kids. But of course, I'm always surprised by that kind of thing every day of the week. Um, so anyway, parent, we do understand parents have a role in here. Then they need to be prosecuted also. In if they're exploiting their children sexually uh, in an imagery. Now, what's interesting here is there was also a, a story just to, some, to finish up that AI will take the place of these AI videos or pictures. There won't be any people involved. They'll just imagine it. And then I don't know if that's worse because then people will get, you know, addicted to this kind of content, but nobody will be in harm's way, but all of us will be in harm's way. So that'll, that's an interesting debate. What if, a, what if it's AI and not people anymore? Um, that's, oof, that, I don't want to go down that. Particular. Again, they have the ability to tag stuff that's AI generated. And then they have uh, a responsibility. It's just, I don't, the easiest thing here, and they know how to do it, but they don't want to do it, age gate. People under the age of 16. Yeah, but what, if they, what if there's no age to the AI image? Like, it just looks like a kid. I, I, it's, it, there's so many things coming down the pike. Um, we'll get to, anyway, that's a, that's a topic for another day. But there's so much stuff because AI doesn't have an age. So anyway, we'll see. Um Big topic, very important to Scott and I, obviously. We care a, lot, a great deal, but you should read these stories. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. We come back. Reddit's IPO is finally happening, and we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Barbara McQuaid, about how to defeat disinformation. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. 
That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Scott, we're back. Reddit has filed to go public finally. This will be the first major tech IPO of the year and the first social media IPO since Pinterest in 2019, if you can believe it. The, the platform's bankers are looking for a valuation of at least $5 billion, not too big. It has 73 million daily active users and one of the most visited websites in the U.S. In an unusual move, Reddit will reportedly offer 75,000 power users the chance to buy shares at the IPO price. I think other companies have done similar things. First off, Reddit has been around since 2005. Um, this will be a test for IPOs in general. Their business is largely advertising. Now they just, there's in the probably the most controversial thing is this licensing, data licensing agreement. They just announced a $60 million deal with Google last week, which I think people inside who use the company are not happy about. Um, So, any thoughts? Talk Talk to me about this IPO. Well, first off, everyone's sort of waiting for the market to thaw, the IPO market. And it probably is beginning or the atmospherics are lining up just because of the acceleration in the markets. The markets are reaching new highs and NVIDIA has totally inspired kind of the animal spirits appear to be returning. And there's several IPOs lined up and everyone's waiting for one to really pop, whether it's going to be Reddit or Shein, which is kind of the biggest now, the biggest fast fashion company in the world. I like Reddit a lot. I actually think this IPO could be a, a real winner because, uh, I mean, the first thing I do, just very basic, I type in most traffic sites in America. Number one is Google. Number two is YouTube. Number three? Reddit. Reddit. Yeah, my kids use and it number, like crazy. And number four is Facebook. Number five, Amazon. Number six, Pornhub. Number seven, mm. Wikipedia. And number eight, Yahoo. Mm. Yahoo over Twitter. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I'm a shareholder in Yahoo. But my thesis around Yahoo is the same as my thesis around Reddit. And that is, remember those charts I always used to put out 10, 15 years ago saying, newspapers command 7% of people's attention, but they get 18% of the advertising revenue, whereas the internet is 30% of people's attention, but only 9% of money. And over time, the two calibrate, They they normalize, they come in line with each other. And so when you look at the most traffic sites in the world, they're usually you know, one plus trillion dollar companies. And so this company is going to go out supposedly at a valuation of five billion and it's the third most traffic site in the United States. Yeah, it's, it's a bargain. Said. It's a bargain. They yeah. should be able to they should be able to figure this out. They still rely on advertising quite a bit. Like that that if you look at the numbers, it's it's a really heavy uh, and so they're they're subject to the vicissitudes so of does the market. Matter. I get it. I get it. But you're right. Um, this so is a Google. very this, is a, this is a much smaller company. Like I've interviewed its CEO Steve Huffman quite a bit. Uh, I like him. He's he was really first on figuring out content moderation. They of course had a terrible back and you know around some really heinous sites there. 
um, on the site. Um, you know, it's always been a little bit of a shaggy dog of a social media site. Very. But they, they did the $60 million deal. They're, they're, they have a little bit of that AI spice on their on their meal. They got a 60 million bucks. I think that's going to go up or they might take the content in-house. Th- this is their risk. They can't be Pinterest and Snap that have kind of gone sideways and always end up being the little engines that couldn't. But if they if they continue to be one of the most traffic sites in the world, they can put an AI spin on this at five billion. I mean, let me just be transparent. I'm going to try and get stock in this thing. I think this thing, I think this could be either Shein or Reddit are going to set the oh, IPO market Shein on fire. Shein is a retailer, though, of course, right? So different. But Shein, I mean, it's another one. We'll talk about this another day. But Shein is now the largest fast fashion company yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's and interesting. One of these, one or both of these is going to have a big pop because the market, the IPO market has been so thawed that I bet these get priced fairly conservatively. Five billion is low. It's very low. I was like, oh. That's nothing. Yeah, and that's really the problem. Is. It's a lot. If it sticks at five billion, it's not going to get a lot of analyst coverage. Yeah, no it doesn't really cares about make money. As I, recall. I think the money, I think they're cash flow positive, I believe. Um, what's interesting, here's one that that, uh, that 9% of the voting power at Reddit, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, there he is, pops up. He invested um, at a time when they were struggling a little bit, $60 million in shares, because they were going to go IPO, and then they weren't, and then they were sort of owned by Condé Nast, and they were you know what I mean? They went through a lot. This company has gone through a lot of iterations, um, and, you know, sort of coming out, maybe they should be bought. This People thought about buying them, then there was the controversy over those terrible, the Trump forums and everything else. And then I did an interview with Steve, and he said, he was the first CEO to say to me about content moderation, you know, we were very, they're very, they were the first, they were, you know, the, the the free speech wing of the free speech party, right? Those ga- of, of, of the people I interviewed. But he was also the first person who said to me, some people are just malignant actors and we're going to throw them out. And nobody had ever said that. And they had no resources to do it. And that was a big deal when he said that to me. I was sort of like, this, the company with the least ability to do anything about it was articulating something that just made perfect sense, right? And this was a company that was so free speechy, you couldn't, I mean, they, and they got in trouble for it very early on. T- tell me about Altman. What do you think about Altman? His investment gets this thing at least another billion dollars in valuation because it's more of that AI sprinkling. It's more of that AI pixie. Everybody thinks Sam Altman, maybe with the exception of Jensen Huang, is the smartest person in the world. And he's an investor and a shareholder here. One of these companies is going to have a triple-digit opening day uh, in the yeah. IPO market. We're going to be off to the races. You I like think this it. is a great— You like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. And not only that, Reddit, it's a global brand. People know it. It's a global brand. What? How many global brands can you pick up for $5 bucks right now? But not just that. It's a youth brand, too. My kids, I was surprised. They use two things, YouTube quite a bit, but Reddit just as much. It's a really—and they don't use it for chit-chatting. They use it for videos and consumption, which they don't like— they don't like TikTok. I know it sounds crazy, but they find it too performative and they love, they think Reddit feels more real. Um, it's an entertainment vehicle for them, which is interesting to me. So you know, it's a, a really interesting hack that I didn't discover. Type in your search and then add the word Reddit and see what comes up. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, there's a whole thing on why we're so annoying on Reddit. Just, do you know that? Oh, really? <laughs> they're, they're trying, they, they vote about which one of us is more annoying. I'm sorry. That, that's a tough one. I'm insufferable. That's not an easy no, call. No, but really. Um, <laughs> that's a photo finish. I'm insufferable. 
but interesting. Really? You are the most annoying. I'm sorry to tell you. But that some people love you. <laughs> oh, you've already decided. I, no, I Reddit? looked at it. I'm looking at Reddit. I like I there's there's whole sections talking about whether we're okay, annoying we're or helpful. For those of you who are wondering, we could go ten minutes without talking about us. Tell me about your book, Kara. No, no, no. But let me tell you, I went there to, <laughs> oh, and I, it popped right up. It was I was looking for book reviews for my Have you heard about our therapy session? No, listen Jesus, to me. People really love that. Scott and people show. love this. It is the yeah, Scott and Kara Anyways. show. But I'm saying it was really interesting. It was, it's just endlessly interesting information, but there's a whole section of whether we're annoying or not. That's really... Well, the answer is yes. Yes, we but, are. <laughs> but as long as we're entertaining, that's fine. That's what I said. I was like, I almost popped in and went, hey, girls. I'm the Ted Cruz of podcasts. You can't figure... You don't like me, but I keep voting for me. Yeah, that's keep true. Listening. No, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, you have a lot of fans, too. Anyway, well, wh- let's let's move on. We like this, Reddit. Reddit, watch out. I'm I'm calling it now. Reddit, Reddit, first trade, first trade, right. way up. Okay, we'll see. All right, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Barbara McQuaid is a former U.S. attorney and the author of Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America, which is one of our favorite topics here on Pivot. Um, Barbara, thank you for coming. Thank you, Kara. Great to be with you and Scott. Great. So this book really delves into how disinformation has spread and become weaponized uh, in recent years. You mostly talk about legal issues when you appear and things like that. Talk a little bit about it um, and how we got here. You write, we are not just living in a post-truth world. We are living in a post-shame world, which, of course, both at the same mm. time. So talk to me a little about what how we got here and why this part interested you. Yeah, so my background is as a federal prosecutor uh, in the national security space. Before I was a U.S. attorney, I was a national security prosecutor. And now I teach national security law at the University of Michigan Law School. And one of the things I have seen is the threat evolve from al-Qaeda to ISIS to cyber intrusions and now to disinformation. And at one time, this was something that was coming at us from Russia and other hostile foreign adversaries. And now it is a problem coming at us from within the United States, from our own political actors. That's you know where the name comes from. And the idea of post-truth um, in, in, in a post-shame world is that it is not the case that we're all a bunch of rubes falling for false claims. It is the case that people are deliberately going along with the con. And that's because there are polarizing figures in politics who have convinced us that there are only two sides to any equation. There is the far right and the far left. There is, uh, you know, good versus evil. By so demonizing the left and the woke, uh, there are people who are willing to choose tribe over truth. And that is what my mm-hmm. book is about. So, so, so you're saying, so, you know, the, you're saying democracy dies in the bright light of day. You know, that's the, of the famous Washington, democracy dies in darkness. That's what, something I have noticed is that, you know, before it was quite furtive, whether you're talking about national security, whether it was the Chinese, or the Russians or the Iranians, or all these different actors that you have used digital means. Um, now it's explicit. It's not even, it's not implicit or it's not hidden in that regard. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, there's this Brett Bearer interview on Fox News just the other day with Donald Trump, where uh, he just goes on and on and on talking about how he won the 2020 election. And every time there's an interjection of facts, he is just relentless and won't stop. And so he is just following sort of the age old adage of repetition. If you say things enough times and people hear them enough, 
they will believe them. But I, I think that it's something more than that. It is that people have chosen their tribes and they don't care what the truth is. You know, people talk about Donald Trump has been indicted on 91 counts of crimes. They don't care because they have aligned their fortunes with their team. They have been convinced that there is only uh, this or that. It's something referred to as the either or fallacy. And they don't want to be convinced otherwise. And so uh, we find ourselves in this polarized world where truth doesn't matter. And if we are going to be a democracy that governs ourselves, we have got to recommit ourselves to truth. Why is America particularly vulnerable to disinformation? You say that. I do. And I, I think it is because of our cherished values of free speech. And, and, and you know, don't get me wrong, free speech is incredible and is essential to democracy. It is what protects minority voices and unpopular voices from sharing uh, their views and, and, and criticizing those in power. But there is also this idea that any suggestion that we should restrict speech or restrict social media gets labeled censorship. And when we hear censorship, you know, our, our, our heckles go up and we say, no, that's, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. But that's what permits content moderation uh, and prevents some of the social media platforms from becoming toxic hellscapes. Um, I think that people forget that all uh, fundamental rights can be limited as long as there's a compelling governmental interest and the limitation is narrowly tailored to achieve those interests. So for example, um, we could regulate content on social media for that which is paid. If you pay on social media, then maybe the social media uh, platforms can reject certain things that are uh, false or lying, or uh, we can require at least disclosure of paid content online without worrying about violating the First Amendment. And so I think sometimes our devotion to the First Amendment blinds us to common sense restrictions that are time, place, or manner restrictions akin to yelling fire in a crowded theater. Uh, nice to meet you, Barbara. So uh, the the level or the magnitude of the problem is is a given. People, it's obvious. It's it's a threat. I think people perceive it as a threat. I guess the question I would have is, what solutions do you propose? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll put forward a thesis that there's always going to be individuals who will take advantage of these porous platforms and are willing to lie and ex, you know expecting better people to emerge. There will always be people willing to lie and repeat lies and. You know, I just I I don't think shaming is working. We could sue the platforms or try and uh, go after them. My sense is they're too big. Do you think at some point we need to incorporate more into um, our educational institutions critical thinking and then to restore that there is a truth, there isn't that the truth is an actual thing? But I'll. I'll uh, let me finish where I started. What solutions do you propose? So in the book, I do propose some solutions. And Kara, I'm looking forward to reading Burn Book about um, your your take on social media as well. I'm sure you've got some ideas in there. We're fucked. If you'd like, if you'd like the cliff notes, <laughs> but go ahead. Kara has a book coming yeah. out. I don't know. You know what? I got fans, Scott. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I do propose some solutions, and and Scott, I think they have to come from both sides of the equation. Um, I think. Our government can do some things to restrict social media. Social media is an incredible tool 
Uh, despite what Kara says, I think it connects people in wonderful ways. But I think we've been really naive in the way we've let it grow without any sort of regulation whatsoever. You know, it's it's like growing a baby alligator in your bathtub. It's adorable when it starts and it's very exciting until it turns into a man-eating predator, which is where we are today. And I think we could do some things. You know, one of the things that Frances Haugens, who is the Facebook whistleblower, uh, said during her testimony to Congress is it's not the content, it's the algorithms. And so there are algorithms online that will push people to content that is most likely to generate outrage because that's what keeps eyeballs on the platform. And so we can regulate algorithms. That would be something we could do that would not run afoul of the First Amendment. We could either prevent algorithms that drive us to that which outrages us, or we could at least require disclosure of algorithms so people know when they are being manipulated for outrage. So that's something we can do. I also think that we see a lot of content on social media that does not play by the same rules as advertising on television and radio. You know, if you listen to an ad on the radio or see something on television, you'll sit here, you know, I'm Joe Biden and I approved of this ad. That does not exist on social media. So you could have uh, Russia or some wealthy individual posing as the red, white, and blue grandmothers of America uh, posting ad content online without disclosure. So I think there are a number of things we can do with the law to change the way disinformation is uh, allowed to uh Percolate. Proliferate. Yeah. Proliferate. There's a good word online. Right now, as we're talking, the Supreme Court is arguing these two cases, and there's another one coming around the limits of the government and to warning, uh, con- you know, telling people to take certain content down, companies. So talk a little bit about the cases currently there and the one coming, because they're all very important. It's sort of a rethinking of what, and these are Texas, we just talked about them, Texas and Florida laws. Um, I happen to be on the side of the tech companies here, although I think they're wildly irresponsible and under no uh, liability or anything else. Uh, So that's the problem on that side. But I tend to be for the tech companies on this one. Yeah. And it's important, Kara, to differentiate. You know, you you can't be all for, uh, you know, companies on one thing and all for uh, uh, states on another. You have to look, uh, you know, elementally at these things, you know, point by point. And on this one, I think the the tech companies are right. The idea that states can prevent tech companies from moderating content, again, in the name of censorship, you know, they throw out that word and it sounds so frightening, but imagine what this would look like if they could not do that. Um, If they cannot have community standards that are enforceable by contract. These are private companies. And so they are not bound by the First Amendment. They have the right to say and not say anything they want. What's going to happen here? What What do you think from listening to the, what they're saying, the justices? You know, it's, it's always difficult to predict what might come out in the end. But I'd have a hard time seeing a majority of these justices ruling in favor of these states and against the tech companies and telling them what they must allow on their platforms. These are private actors. And so I think that, uh, you know, although some of these justices are no friends of uh, the political left or even of these big tech companies, I can't imagine that in light of their views of the First Amendment, that they would allow these states to tell them what to do. In fact, I'd like to think that the only reason that they took up these cases is not because they consider them serious uh, laws. But they want to knock them down. Yeah, because, you know, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld this statute in 
Texas. And so there's a circuit split. And so they really do have to step in here uh, to knock them down. What about the, the Biden one? What about the one coming up after that? They also took that one. Yeah. Up. And so this is an interesting one. This is the one where the Biden administration is working with tech companies. And in you know the light most favorable to the Biden administration, I think they would say, we have to jawbone with tech companies to engage with them and tell them what is false and ask them to take it down. We're not ordering them. We're not demanding. We're trying to work together with them them. to protect public safety. If we see something that is, you know, a a COVID remedy that might be dangerous to public health or um, something else that is... uh, Or Al-Qaeda up to its usual tricks or something like that. Yeah, there you go. A, A terrorist organization that is recruiting online. It is helpful to the public for that sharing of information to go on. Now, I could imagine the courts structuring something to ensure that this is an ask and not a demand. And so maybe they put some roadblocks in place to make sure that there is um, uh, no coercion going on when it comes to government and no repercussions coming on. But I can't imagine, again, that we could live in a world where the government is forbidden from sharing with social media companies dangerous, dangerous information, threats, things that are, are harmful to uh, public safety. So I, I, I think that this will come out in favor of those sorts of communications. Um, and the most restrictive thing I could imagine is some guardrails there to prevent coercive situations. Well, you're a U.S. attorney, Barbara. The, my sense is the fines can't be big enough. They have an army of lawyers. It's just a cost of doing business. Does does any of this really get any better unless until someone does a perp walk? <laughs> uh, that's, fa- that's Scott's favorite. He's his go to. He walk. wants to see one of them in jail. The perp walk. What? What? And, and do you mean one of the social media companies, or do you mean yes? Meta was fined five billion dollars. That was eleven weeks of cash flow, and they keep on yeah. trucking. Well, um, I want to get back to a, a point that I think could help us, and that is the point you mentioned earlier about. Um, responsibility of the users. And I do think we, responsibility of individuals, but also as a society to educate the public about being critical consumers of social media. Uh, you know, we have uh, tended to believe what we read online, believe what we see online. And again, it is a wonderful way to share information at scale. But in Finland, a place where they have suffered from disinformation from Russia for decades, school children are trained in critical reading studies to be able to identify disinformation when they see it, looking for a second source, not reading solely the headline, looking past artificial intelligence and recognizing that there is such a thing as deep fakes on audio and visual uh, and those sorts of things. And I think, Scott, we can't end it at just critical media studies. We also have to look at uh, civics education. And so to understand, you know, how our government works, the three branches of government, checks and balances we have. What about that perp walk or repealing or amending Section 230? Does a liability exist in some fashion? So I don't know that we could completely repeal Section 230. I think it might be, I think if we were to repeal Section 230, we would put these social media companies out of business. I think there's just too much volume online for them to do it. But I, but I do think, yeah, we could have uh, some amendments to Section 230 uh, for things like uh, algorithms that are manipulating people and pushing content that outrages us. I think we could um, have liability for false advertising where they've accepted money in exchange for the content that is online. So I think, again, it's this all or nothing thinking, uh, the dumbed down, and perhaps social media has driven us to that sort of this or that all or nothing thinking. But the the nuance is in between. And we need our legislators 
to take this seriously. You know, a lot of times when we have those hearings and we have uh, some of our senators and members of Congress listening to people like Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey testify, you can see them start to glaze over and they look like those people in the ads for um, progressive insurance. You know, you're, this, this is your, you're becoming your parents. Am I hashtagging right now? But they can hire experts to help them work through they this. have they're they're more they're smart they get yeah. smarter and smarter yeah, i think sure and they've got staff members who are smart enough to sort through this and so i think we need to take a responsibility that we are going to look to some of these suggestions for regulating social media it doesn't have to be a complete elimination of section 230 but some specific amendments to try to reduce disinformation it's not one thing that's going to solve this problem it's a series of solutions and i think one is all of us have to make a commitment to truth that we are not going to pile on we're not going to choose our tribe over truth we are going to demand truth from our leaders and from ourselves you're a former U.S. attorney. You're an academic. You're obviously very thoughtful. You have domain expertise that is really relevant to our country. Why wouldn't you run for office? I, uh, Barbara. I, I'm not willing to make. The, I'm not willing to make the personal sacrifices it takes. But uh, I appreciate. I appreciate the uh, the vote of confidence. Why don't you run for office, Scott Galloway? For the exact same reason Barbara won't. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and other things. Barbara, last question. This elections are coming up. How are you looking at this disinformation? We're in a post shame world, a post truth world. What 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 does uh, disinformation play here, and what if anything can be done about it? Really relevant at, th at this time, Kara. Um, you know, we just saw in New Hampshire a series of robocalls using artificial intelligence yeah. to yeah. Uh, falsify mm -hmm. Joe Biden's voice. I think we need to be on the lookout for those kinds of things and quickly debunk them. I think. Um, you know, fact-checking in real time is very important. And I think mm -hmm. providing information when there are these false claims out there, we're going to see it. We're going to see text message campaigns. We're going to see AI campaigns. And I think alerting the public to these things. And the other thing, Kara, that we can't lose is engagement in politics, because that is what authoritarians seek uh, in uh, Putin's Russia. It is to flood the zone with so much information that people don't know what to think. They become cynical and then numb and they disengage from politics altogether. And so I want to encourage people that the best way to fight back is to stay engaged in politics, talk to your neighbors, work hard to, for credible sources like the League of Women Voters and others that provide accurate information about voting. All right, Barbara, thank you so much. This is a terrific book, and Barbara's really sharp. She's all over the place. You're all over the place, Barbara. Um, uh, the book is called Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you both for having me on. Really appreciate nice it. Nice to meet you, Barbara. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. I enjoyed your podcast. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for Wins and Fails. Support for this podcast and the following message is brought to you by E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, our tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now, when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com slash Vox. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. This week on The Pitch, AI versus models. My co-founder and I have never been represented when shopping online. This lack of representation in e-commerce drives down conversion rate, leads to a high return rate, and is a problem for both consumers and brands. This is where Flock comes in. I'm looking at lips, a lip product here. Yep. So it's got some up-close uh, pictures of 
lips and lipstick with different skin tones, different nose shapes. Is that AI-generated? It's fully AI-generated. Got it. Mm. It's an existential question for modeling agencies. Because besides walking down <laughs> yeah. a runway, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah modeling might go away. There's just no other way to be able to do it in a scalable solution without using AI. Things get existential on The Pitch. Go right now and subscribe to The Pitch wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. Do you have any? I'm all screwed up. It's like I'm I'm bass awkward. I thought today was predictions well, in this Joey Bag of Donuts production. All right, make a have. prediction, Scott, and then I'll do a win and a fail. How about that? Let's just, let's be bisexual about it. My mind is a blank after you said that. It was like pressing a reset <laughs> button. Uh, so I think that Alphabet is going to be the best performing big tech stock. And I think it's going to attract an activist investor in the next 30 to 60 days. It's the only it's the only one of the magnificent seven that is trading whose price earnings ratio is trading below the broader S&P. They've had a series of stumbles. The underlying businesses are just unbelievable. YouTube is actually bigger than Netflix. It's got, I think, the second biggest cloud business. Uh, obviously, search is arguably the best business ever invented. And it's also where it's gotten hammered is similar to how Meta got, in my opinion, unfairly punished or overpunished because of this terrible rollout or this ridiculous consensual hallucination called Oculus and the headsets. The market ignored the, that the underlying business continued to be just this cash volcano. The equivalent of the Oculus for uh, Alphabet has been its kind of innovator's dilemma, flat-footed, sitting on their hands around AI. And even the rollout of Gemini had some real hiccups where it was a lot of people, and I think there's some truth here, it got over-programmed around sort of DEI issues. And the rollout has been, it just hasn't gone very well. And if you look at the history of AI, literally Alphabet was at the center of it in terms of people, intellectual property, discovery. And it's a classic case of the innovator's dilemma where they didn't go aggressively at it. There's a few things that are going to happen here. One, the stock is going to outperform because it's cheap relative to the others, given the strength of its businesses. Two, an activist is going to show up. And three, and I don't like to say this, they're going to have fairly significant layoffs because they have overhired. And the year of efficiencies has not really hit Alphabet yet. And they're going to come under pressure to show this a similar type of shareholder returns as the other six, given the strength of the underlying business. And the easiest way to juice their earnings will be to trim their workforce. So anyways, uh, I think Alphabet is about to get more attention. I think it's going to outperform layoffs, uh, a different narrative around AI, and you're going to see an activist show up there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the government stuff, too. That's why they've been so quiet on that stuff. That's interesting. All right, I'm going to do a win and a fail, all right? Fail. I, I got to say, these comments about, by Donald Trump about Black people and that I like him because of a meg shot, he's, none of his ridiculous, crazy comments are going to get enough attention because he says one every five minutes. That's the problem with Donald Trump. But that one uh, was just particularly heinous. Like, But of course, then you're like, oh, that was particularly heinous. He benefits from being heinous all the time so that it just all falls on deaf ears. But some of the stuff he's been saying lately has been particularly nutty. Um, and uh, for my win, I would say, I think that I, I'm kind of heartened by Nikki Haley continuing. I'm like, I know, like all these men are like, get out now, quit. They... 
She's, all these men. And they are. All these I'm sorry. men. I just, I'm I, sorry. I've noticed. What if I said all these women wanted to stay in the race? Well, all these women are writing columns, stay in. I think she's really interesting. I think she has no downside to this. And like, let her stay in. She's got the money. She's got the means. Let her stay in and make a case. And she's making, I don't know, she's burnt the boat, burnt the boats and she's staying in. And I think it's great. I love competition. I love it. I saw you on Chris Wallace and I thought that was an interesting discussion. And I was thinking about it. Uh, we like it because I, I don't see how it's good for it's nothing but downside for Trump. And I'm all for anything that is nothing for downside. I actually think at this point, it's probably bad for her to stay in. I think she's starting to alienate more and more people in the Republican Party. She's becoming a bit of a, a gadfly. I don't know. All right. OK. You like that she's in. I like okay, that, she's that she's in. staying in. I like let me have my win. Don't insult my Coke, win. Okay. <laughs> Take down my fucking win. <laughs> the Koch brothers just uh, withdrew their funding. Of course they did. But they were nice about it. They were like, we think she's great. It was fine. Of course they were going to do that. They got to put their money in local races. That I don't I don't care. Let me ask you, who do you think is going to be his VP pick? I don't know, someone heinous. Um, probably Tim Scott, because he's the most obsequious right. chode of all of them. Yeah, probably. You know what I thought Tim Scott was definitely going to be his pick or thought he was? That's when he got engaged. <laughs> How come all these guys decide to, like, go full hetero uh, or full, like, I'm a, the Marion man when they – I mean, didn't Cory Booker show up with a girlfriend yeah. when he was running for yeah, president? Yeah, when there was rumors about that, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But not our friend Lindsey Graham. He continues to – So, ladies, if you want a ring, if you want him to put Lindsay. a finger a ring on it, just get him to run for president. Right, exactly. Just get him to think they can be president yeah, yeah. if they only show yeah. up with a wife. You know, allegedly. That's all we have to say. Allegedly, allegedly. Look, he just looks like he's dying inside. Every time he smiles, I'm like, oh, I want. I'd love to hear the. In if you could broadcast the internal monologue, I would yeah. love to hear that. Oh God, I would love let to me, hear that. Let me just be the VP. I know. Let me get inaugurated, and let's hope this this sack of shit drops dead. <laughs> he could be president, and, it, and all of a sudden, easy, and all of a sudden, easy. and then we have, you know. You know, there we have it. And There's a let me go this way. When he started, when he started his campaign, I think the odds were like two hundred to one that he'd be president. If he's Donald Trump's vice he president, has a, five it, years, yes. mm -hmm. five Not years five. for seventy-seven, one year. Well, no, 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 five, um, no, no, no. I'm saying yeah. between now and the end of the if Trump were elected, so call it five years for a seventy-seven-year-old obese man. Literally, Tim Scott, if he's made VP, has like a forty percent chance of being president. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think he's picking Tim Scott. That's what I would say. I would. Uh, that makes the most sense. He's a sense. In in weird ways, Trump can be very sensible, and that's the sensible choice. He's obsequious. Yeah, I agree. He's obsequious, and he's a black man, and he's a, you know he's friendly. So he give you know he's a friendly guy. He's very he's he, very he affable. He's a likable guy. Likable, he's good on religious, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Yeah. And he's willing. He checks a lot of He's boxes. willing to do whatever it takes to make Trump look good. Anyway, we'll see. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Okay, Scott, that is the show. I am off to party with Don Limon. Don Limon. Don Limon. We'll be back on Friday with more. Read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Zoe Marcus, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie and Todd engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Severio. Nishak Kurwa is Vox Media's executive producer of audio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. You can subscribe to the magazine at nymag.com slash pod. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Kara, have a great rest of the week. Mm -hmm. 
Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. 